Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome you uh, here to worship with us today. If you're watching online, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. If you are checking our church out, maybe this month for the first time today, whatever it is, we're so glad that you're here with us. We would love to get to know you. If you have any questions about us, uh, what's going on here, we invite you just to go out to the atrium, to our welcome desk, and we'll try to answer every question you have, okay? Um, but we'd love the opportunity to get to know you. Um, I want to ask you, before we jump in, I want to ask you to be praying for Pastor Hannibal. Um, he has had a full week. So uh, he was preaching here last week, and right after he was done, he left to go on the mission trip with our high school students to Ohio. So he was there. Are those high school students here? Some nice. Welcome home. So uh, Hannibal was out there. Then he got on a flight and went to the Dominican Republic to have meetings with the Gospel Coalition, uh, the Spanish side of that. And then this morning, he is preaching at our uh, missionaries, Vic and Leslie Troutwine's church this morning in the DR. So be praying for him. He will be back here next week, I promise, okay? Um, so you will see him then. We're in a new section of our Matthew series. Uh, we're actually changing the colors on the screen, and you'll see there's a new color up here uh, for our symbols. We are in a section that we are calling the King's Mission. So I want to invite you, after you leave here, to grab your sticker for your journal. Um, you can put it on there so you can kind of continue to flow with us in what we're doing. Um, but when we are looking at the King's Mission... What you end up seeing is that when someone has a mission, it tends to mean that if they're going to have an overwhelming impact, if they're going to make uh, kind of a, a stamp on uh, the area that they're looking for, they're going to have to have their entire heart behind it. And so this morning, as we look at this text, we, we have to see that because Jesus is unveiling his mission that what just seeps through the text is that Jesus' heart, his heart for people comes out. Now, just the section before this, we heard the Sermon on the Mount. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, you heard Jesus' heart for his disciples, how disciples are to live, what they are supposed to do in society and, and believe and, and follow. And now what we see is that he is going to put some meat on the bones and he's going to basically live everything he said out through action. And it happens immediately, as we read in Matthew 8. Now, as we take the scenes of Matthew 8, and as we look at this text, what you notice in this text is that there is a lot of pain. And I would imagine, for some of us, you have walked into this place, and you're sitting here, and you're, you're kind of going, I made it here. But life stinks right now. Life's hard. Maybe for some of you, you're battling health issues. And it's just, it's a struggle. Maybe you're battling some relational issues. For some of you parents, maybe there's like a break in a relationship with a child. And some of you are coming in here and you're like, life is great. 
And yet, what we know is we live in a broken world, and because we live in a broken world, eventually pain is going to come and it's going to impact our life. And so when we read Matthew 8, there's this, this thought that I want you to remember as you leave here and as you think of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's simply this, it's that the pain that you live with is the place Jesus willingly wants to touch. The pain you live with is the place that Jesus willingly wants to touch. And we're going to look at it through three scenes. We're going to see that Jesus has a heart for the outcast. Jesus also has a heart for the outsider. And Jesus has a heart for the overlooked. So let's start at looking at how Jesus has a heart for the outcast. When we look at this, we, we find it in verses 1 through 4. Now, whenever, uh, whenever you think about gathering people around a mission, you want to get people that have a lot of gifts that they can bring towards that mission, gifts that they're going to use to pursue that mission that you're going after. We also live in a society that tends to like to gather the pretty people, the good-looking people around their, their item that they're trying to sell or around their mission because they, they think if you can get that, then things are going to move forward well. And what we find is that it doesn't always work out well that way. But Jesus is pursuing a mission here, and he wants to accomplish this. And because his perspective is so much better than ours, he ends up going after this mission. And it's really interesting who the first person is that comes to him after the Sermon on the Mount. Notice, it's not a social media influencer. It's, it's not an actor, it's not an athlete, it's not a politician. Look at what the text says. Verses 1 and 2, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The first person that comes to Jesus is a leper. The first person that comes is actually an outcast in society. See, this guy has the, the, the physical ailment attacking his body, and it's visible for everybody to see. I mean, this is, this is a disease that would uh, attack the skin and attack the limbs, and sometimes, uh, like, people's fingers would fall off. They would lose limbs. They, the things would take place. It would eat away at their life. And because of that, there were regulations on how lepers were to be in society, I want you to see in Leviticus 13.46, in the Old Testament, there were these standards that were set up of what lepers needed to do. Look at what it says in Leviticus uh, chapter 13. It says, as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone, and they must live outside the camp. The moment that somebody ended up getting this disease, they were kicked out of the society that they were in. They were told to be alone. They, had, they no longer had relationships. And what we find is that this leper takes a bold step in this scene. 
Now, what's amazing with this is that this leper looked a certain way. See, a leper would end up uh, being in society and uh, they would have to wear torn clothes. And so their, their clothes would be ripped apart and then they would end up having to cover the lower half of their face. Actually reminds you of COVID and all the masks, you know? But they would have to do that. They would have to cover it because this was a disease that they would think uh, that, that was con- uh, people could get it from them. It was contagious, that sort of thing. So they would cover the face. And then what they would have to do is as they were walking through society, instead of greeting people, from a distance they would start yelling, unclean, unclean. And they were all alone. They didn't have anybody around them. They were the total outcast. And what's amazing is that leprosy was considered incurable. But for some reason, this outcast believes that Jesus can heal him. So notice what he does. He breaks the social barriers and he comes. He ends up coming to Jesus and comes through the crowd and we don't hear that he was yelling unclean. He just made it through the crowd and he kneels at Jesus' feet. And we say that he makes this uh, humble request. But notice that it's not really a, a request. He's not really asking anything. He's making a statement. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's just a statement. Now, I want you to see how this plays out. Look at verse three. Look at what he does. Jesus reached out. He reached out his hand and touched the man. Now notice in this, this is something that Jesus shouldn't have done. He's breaking a barrier right away, uh, and, and he does this. Why would Jesus touch this man? See, what we learn in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus had authority with the word. He says a word. He has this tremendous authority. All he had to do was say, be healed, and the guy would have been healed. But Jesus does something that was radically breaking all boundaries, And the reason it's crazy is because the moment Jesus touches the leper, Jesus should be unclean. He should be unclean. He he shouldn't be clean anymore. He shouldn't be pure anymore. Now he has the filth on him. But I want you to see why. Jump to verse 17. This is is the beauty of what Jesus is doing. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. The moment he touches the man is the moment that he's saying, I am willing to bear your disease. And notice, the miracle doesn't happen when he touches him. Jesus is reaching out because he is bringing this this beautiful aspect of his heart and he's saying, I care for you. The outcast, the one that is alone, I love you. 
And he reaches out and he touches a guy who has probably not been touched in years. He hasn't felt the sense of touch. So he reaches out. And, and then what, what ends up happening is, is just uh, mind-blowing. Verse 3, he reaches out. He says, I am willing. Be clean. That's when the miracle happens. Now, it says immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Immediately. Now, does that mean that scales fell from his body? I don't know. I started thinking it's one of those of like when you watch a movie and like the pixie dust swirls around the person and all of a sudden they look totally different. I mean, it's something like that, that something takes place and he is radically transformed uh, before everyone's eyes. And then Jesus says something really strange. Look at verse 4. He says, then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, it's strange to me because Jesus is telling him, don't go tell anyone, and yet there was a crowd that saw this all happening. He didn't turn to them and say it. He just said to this one guy, don't do this. And why is it? It's because he didn't want this guy to get distracted. He wanted to do, have him do something that was part of the Old Testament law. And what we need to understand is that when Jesus came to this earth, he continued to follow Old Testament law because the Old Testament law didn't change until the Messiah, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and went to the grave. So he's following it and he's saying, I need you to go to the priests because you are going to be the testimony of who I am to those that should already know. And so he says, go to them and, 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 and reveal what has taken place. Now, how long was this man a leper? We don't know. But I want you to think about it. How long has it been since a, a family member had lovingly touched him, since he held someone's hand, since he gave a high five, you know, how long has it been since he was, uh, you know, gathered with family around a feast? How long has he been yelling, unclean, unclean? See, what Jesus ends up doing is unbelievable. He not only brings about a physical healing or a physical restoration, what he ends up doing in this guy's life is he brings about a social restoration. He brings about a, a relational restoration because now what he's doing is saying, I'm not only healing your body, but I am now placing you back into community with people around you. Now you don't have to yell unclean. Now you can be there. And the moment that he is dropped in his community and people are looking at him, what's the story he's going to share? That Jesus has a heart for the outcast. 
See, what's beautiful in this scene is that this man seemed to keep some distance. He came and he knelt and there was a distance between him and Jesus. And yet, Jesus is the one that ends up breaking that distance by reaching out and touching. The same way he wants to do for you. The same way he has done for you. That we come before him filthy, kneeling, and he is the one that breaks the divide. And notice what Matthew does. Matthew doesn't tell us what the faith of this leper was like. He doesn't say that he was like a devout Jew. He doesn't say like he did all these incredible acts or he never missed a Sunday in church or he does, he's super generous with this or that. He doesn't say anything about this guy's faith except the statement that this man makes. And it's because this miracle doesn't happen because of the quantity or quality of the leper's faith. It happens because the healer has a heart for the outcast. He's willing to just bring restoration. And what we need to understand is that even the weakest faith, when the weakest faith is placed in Jesus, it's in the exact place that that faith should be. So there's this biblical commentator, his name is Frederick Bruner, and Frederick Bruner, looking at this text, he ends up saying this about Jesus. He says, Jesus will not storm Israel with his messianic claim. He's not going to storm Israel with it, but he will not quietly at its door, leper by leper, little by little. He's taken the one that I would imagine most of us would not look at, and he's touching that life. See, the pain that you live with is the place Jesus willingly wants to touch. So Jesus has a heart for the outcast, and then what we see in this text is that Jesus has a heart for the outsider. Starts in verse 5, and we see a a beautiful uh, picture of what happens there. About 12 years ago, I took a team of students to Jos, Nigeria, while there, I was uh, teaming up with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law who are missionaries, missionaries there, and they run an orphanage and a, a home for women that were trafficked. And they, they minister all around that city, and so they took me to different places, and I went into homes, and I saw the, the most broken, the poorest of the poor. And I saw these beautiful faces that would just light up whenever we would walk in, and and some of them would want to, like, make a meal. And so they would, they would quickly try to make a meal out of what they had. And they didn't have extra for us. But they did it because their heart was just uh, overjoyed that these outsiders came and visited them. And they, they gave back and, and they did this. And I got to tell you, while I think back on that trip, one of the things that I realized is that while we were there, I was the outsider. I looked different. I mean, let's be honest. I don't have an ounce of tan in this body, okay? I looked radically different. I sound different. I talk different. I have different life experiences. 
I have different circumstances, and yet the entire time I was there, what these people did was they welcomed the outsider into their home and welcomed them into their life. And then we see this scene develop. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? See, culturally, outsiders are looked at through skeptical lenses. You know, we don't, we don't know what to do with, uh, with outsiders. And this Gentile centurion comes And the reason this is so interesting is because this is a guy that has military control in the area and he comes before Jesus and he's a Gentile and the followers of Jesus are Jews and Jews and Gentiles don't mix. And so the moment he shows up, there is ethnic tension that is taking place between everyone there. See, a centurion was a a working officer of the Roman Empire, the Roman army, and he would usually lead 60 to 80 soldiers. These soldiers were the the strength of the Roman uh, army. And so this was actually one of the leaders of those that were oppressing the Jews in Israel. So he's there. And what ends up happening is a centurion with that title meant that they had moved up the ranks, and as they moved up the ranks, they were given wealth. They moved social classes. They were now part of the upper class. And as part of the upper class, it meant that they would have slaves. They would have servants. And what, the way that the culture went is it's that when that happened, there really was not a heart for their servants. They were a possession. In Luke 7, Luke writes about this scene, and what's interesting in Luke 7 is that he ends up telling us that there were Jewish leaders that actually spoke up for this guy and said that this guy loves the nation of Israel and in fact helped us build our synagogue. So for some reason, whenever you read Luke 7, what you end up realizing is that this guy is different. And he's different because he shows up to Jesus caring for his servant. Like he pleads on behalf of him. And look at what he says. He says, he goes, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering. And yet, just like the leper, he makes a statement, but he doesn't make an ask. He's just telling Jesus, like, here's here's what's happening. And Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? And what Jesus is doing at that moment is is he is making the centurion declare, what is the need that you have? Because here's the deal. The moment that Jesus would cross the, the threshold of the Gentiles' home is the moment that Jesus would be unclean. He wasn't supposed to enter a Gentile's house. And yet he's offering, shall I come and heal him? See, he's willing to break another boundary. The boundary of having a heart for the outsider. So the centurion, probably thinking like this is a devout Jew, he won't want to come to my house. Or knowing that if he comes to my house, he's now going to have to be labeled unclean. He ends up saying these words. 
in Matthew 8, 8. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Remember, Jesus has the authority of word. We learned that in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the centurion talks about this authority that he has and he compares it to him and the authority that he has with his soldiers. And he, and he says, you know, you don't need to do this. You just say the word. And it, it, what this Gentile soldier is saying is something unheard of in ancient Judaism. What he ends up saying is Jesus You're omnipotent. You're omnipresent. And so you don't have to go to my house. You can just say it here and it will happen there. And he's saying, that's all you need to do. And so this outsider who's despised by the Jews sees this Jew as the hope, the hope for his servant's life. And he's saying, you can do this even though It's unheard of in ancient Judaism to heal from a distance. And Jesus is amazed. He's amazed by this Gentile's faith. And he says that this faith is different than all the faith in Israel. And so notice what Jesus does. He uses this outsider, the faith of this outsider, and he ends up saying, and going back to the Old Testament, to the blessing that God gives Abraham. And what God said to Abraham was, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna make you a great nation and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Meaning that at some point, the feast in the kingdom of heaven is going to be enjoyed, it's gonna be celebrated by Gentile and Jew together. The kingdom of heaven is not just for one ethnicity, it's for all. And so he ends up looking at this and he says, there are some of you that are here that think that just because you're a Jew, you're gonna get into the kingdom of heaven and what's gonna end up happening is you're gonna be thrown out and there's gonna be this judgment that comes and there's gonna be this gnashing of teeth. But this Gentile is part of revealing the overall mission that Jesus had for you and me. Now here's the thing, I gotta tell you, if you read that and you pass by it real quick, uh, you might not realize why that miracle and why that story is so important to you. The reason it's important to you is because more than likely, you're not a Jew. You're not Jewish. You're a Gentile. And so this centurion is part of the ushering in so that I as this Gentile get to take part in the feast eventually in the kingdom of heaven. He's part of revealing it. And so then what happens is that Jesus ends up saying, your servant is healed, and he was healed immediately. From a distance. See, what we find in this scene is that Jesus is telling us to ask Shall I come to your home to heal? Like, ask. Make your ask. And what we find is that the centurion sees him as the hope for deliverer of Israel. 
And all those that were following Jesus should have seen him that way. What's amazing is that whenever we read this, verse 13, what we end up seeing is that Jesus uh, says, uh, go, let it be done, just as you believed it would. And then he just adds this, and his servant was healed at that moment. The miracle is actually secondary. What's primary is everything that happens before that, because Jesus is saying, I am declaring that my heart is for the outsider. My heart is, is for this outsider, and my heart is gracious to him. And just like him, you and me are the outsider. And Jesus' heart is gracious for you. And he's saying, come to me. Make your ask. So we see that Jesus has a heart for the outcast and the outsider, and then we end up seeing that Jesus has a heart for the overlooked. So we get to verse 14, 14 and 15. There's a miracle that takes place, and Matthew includes it, and it only has, it's only two verses. It says this, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. So what we find is that Jesus has now had these two other scenes and he enters Peter's house and just like the leper, just like the centurion, Peter doesn't even make a request of Jesus. Nothing is said. Now, we have no idea what's going on here, but we cannot be making any mother-in-law jokes with this, okay? I mean, it's sad that Peter doesn't make a request for his mother-in-law, but, but he ends up, no request. Jesus just enters, and he sees her lying there. And what does he do? He does exactly what he did with the leper. He reaches out and he touches her hand. Now, why did Jesus have to do that? It's because Jesus is now breaking another boundary. And this is significant. See, I say that Jesus has a heart for the overlooked or, um, you know, this, the looked down upon. And you might be like, well, where is that in this text? And I got to tell you, it's the woman laying in the bed. See, Jesus walks in, and I'm sure this is something that would just radically um, like create all this tension in Peter as he's watching this. And the reason is simply because of the way that culture was. Je- devout Jewish men would uh, pray these 18 benediction prayers. And I want to read you one of those benedictions, and I want to make it really clear here, ladies, This was their benedictions. This is not mine, okay? But this is what they would pray. Lord, I thank thee that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That's what these devout Jewish men would pray. And it's because women were overlooked. They were seen as a possession. They weren't valuable. And Jesus reaches out and he touches her. And the rabbinic regulations would say that can't happen. He can't do that. And also because she's sick, you are now unclean. 
And Jesus ignores it, and she has this fever, and he comes, and he lays his hand in hers. And what he ends up doing here is he's not only bringing about a healing to this mother-in-law, what he's doing is he's saying, women are just as valuable. We cannot overlook them. He's saying, these are my daughters, these are my sisters, they are valuable to me. And Jesus says, I have a heart for the overlooked, and you as a follower, in many ways, Peter needed to look at that and go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to love. What's beautiful in this is that, do you see what her response is? She gets up and she starts to wait on him. Wait on Jesus. Now, when you look at this, that action could just be like the nice action of a good hostess. But what's interesting is Matthew ends up using this Greek verb. It's this Greek verb known as diakonio. And it's used here, and that verb is usually used when, it has, when it's dealing with somebody who is uh, working and doing Christian service. Like constant Christian service with their life. Now, Matthew ends up saying uh, in this text, he ends up saying, wait on him. In this scene in Mark and Luke, uh, they end up putting the word them. Now, each of those authors had different themes and styles of writing, and Matthew ends up writing this because he is making a point. She gets up and she waits on him. And I think it's because Matthew is putting it out there that this woman was healed and her response to the healing is to be a continued disciple of Jesus and and serving him with her life. She ends up pointing that the overlooked was going to live to look like her healer. She was going to serve him. And what we end up seeing uh, in the rest of the pages of the Gospels is that Jesus then had a following of these women that would follow and they would serve him and they they would live for him. And so that as disciples, it includes not just different ethnicities, it also includes man and woman. So we have to ask, why does Matthew put these three miracles here? I think it's because as they come off uh, the mountain and we've heard this incredible sermon by Jesus, it's because he is remembering that in Psalm 147, it says that the Savior is going to come and bring the exilers into the kingdom of heaven. And when you think of exilers, you're going to think of the outcast. You're going to think of the outsider and you're going to think of the overlooked. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm gathering them into my kingdom. You know, the thing that ends up making us feel like we are an outcast, an outsider, and overlooked is usually the pain in our life. We want to hide the pain, and so we move to being alone and and go through this. And I want to remind you that the pain that you live with is the place that Jesus willingly wants to touch. Now, you might be going, well, what do these miracles have to do with me today? So I want to give you a couple things here quickly. Look at verses 16 and 17. 
says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. The popular didn't run to Jesus. The famous weren't running to him. Verse 16 says that the demon-possessed and the sick were brought to him, meaning that friends and family were bringing these people to him to kneel before him for healing. And what we have to remember is that the moment that we surrender our life to to Christ is the moment that our mission in our life is radically transformed and changed so that we actually take on the mission that Jesus had. That we are to bring the grace and the love that, that we find on the cross to others. Because when we were broken, when we had the needs of our sin to be taken care of, cared for, Jesus came and he did that for you and me. So I want you to think of this. The first thing that I think you need to do after reading this is that if you're in need, humbly go to Jesus with your ask. Ask. Ask what you need. And you might have to ask over and over and over again, but ask, plead, don't make a statement. Ask the healer for what you need. The second thing is this, is that trust. Trust the will of Jesus. That it's best in every circumstance because in every circumstance, Jesus sees further into the future than you do. And if, if people were, were bringing their sick and the demon possessed to him because they loved him, it means that they were trusting the will of the healer. And we are due to, to do the same. And the third thing is this, is that uh, I'm, I'm totally struck with the friends and family that are bringing people before him. And so we need to bring people that are in need of healing and the saving power of Jesus, we need to bring that before Jesus in prayer. We need to bring uh, Jesus to them as we talk with them, as we mourn with them. See, the touch of Jesus, him reaching out and him touching, was the gospel in action. And we're called to do the same thing. Because we gotta remember, this is a broken world a broken world that has a savior. And so the pain that you live with is the place Jesus willingly wants to touch. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being the healer. And for all of us gathered here, there are times when we feel like we are the outcast or we're the outsider, we're overlooked, and yet your heart burns for us. Your mission was us. And so you love deeply. And I pray that today that we would reflect and we'd worship you because of that, but that we would also remember that we have to bring this to those around us.
I pray for my brothers and sisters here that are in pain. And Lord, I pray that you would surround them, that they would sense you reaching out and touching them right now. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a community that does this continually for one another, that we come around, we pray, we sit, we listen. May we be the disciples that you've called us to be in a broken world. That's in your name I pray. Amen. So we've talked as a team and uh, we want to do something. We feel like scripture calls us to action. And so we want to do something that might be uncomfortable for us, but it's okay. <laughs> See, some of us have entered here and we're going through it. We have literal sickness going on. There's some that are battling cancer. Other deficiencies in their life and in their health. And they're going through it. And if that's you, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. But here's the deal. You're not going to stand alone for long. See, if someone stands, I think we need to do what it says in verse 16, that we bring people to Jesus. And so... You might not know the person that's standing by you, but you need to go to them, find out what's going on, and you need to pray. Pray for the power of healing. Pray that that Jesus would heal now, or that we would understand that Jesus can also heal for all eternity. And that we would just pray over one another as a church family, and that we would care for one another in those ways. It might be that you have a broken relationship with someone. Maybe it's with your kids or parents or whatever it may be, and you just need someone to pray for you. The team's going to sing the song, and while that's happening, you might want to just worship, but you might also need to be praying together. Pray for those people that aren't in the room that need healing, and that we would be a church that prays for this and boldly asks Jesus to come. So we're going to do this. It might seem strange, but I think it's what we're called to. So if you're needing that healing, I want to invite you to stand. And within seconds, I want others of you to surround them. Walk across aisles. Go to those people and do that. Okay, stand and then move.